Let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, we will be reading a passage where you pray for your disciples that they may be one. And then you say that we are only one in your name. And that is the name of Jesus. I pray that we would know that name. I pray that we would know that only that name brings peace and brings hope and brings a joy that is not of this world. Dear Lord, I want to pray for people who are hurting today. They may be here in this sanctuary. I lift them up to you. May they know the name of Jesus will heal. I pray for the campus of Mississippi State, the tragedy that's happened last night. I pray that they would know only in Jesus' name is there healing and hope. I pray for churches around the world. Christians who risk their own lives to lift up the name of Jesus in prayer, in word, in worship, protect them. May we be united as your family, not only here at Bellwether, but all over the world, because we are yours. May we know it. May we live it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I thank you all again for, uh, for being with us. Uh, a couple things as we get going this morning. Uh, first off, if you've been here the couple, last couple weeks, you know the routine. Get out your cell phones. And uh, some of y'all are already texting, I know, and not, uh, not how much you pray. But have your cell phones out, 601-896-3200. If you hadn't been here the past couple weeks, what we do is we want to text to that number how often we've prayed, if we've fasted. Also, if you have something the Lord's put on your heart in your prayer or a testimony you want to share, please text uh, to that number again, 601-896-3200. This will be the last Sunday we do that. And it's not like we're counting minutes of prayers, but we do want to see how this life, the life of this church, how much in prayer we've been. And then we can gauge, man, we're, we're praying a lot. Or, hey, we need to work on prayer. So... If you have a word from the Lord that He's given you, if you have a testimony, if you fasted, please, please text again, 601-896-3200. Um, if you do not have a Bible, I always say this, I'll say it every Sunday. There are Bibles up there, you can go get one. You can have that Bible. We want to give away Bibles. If you've got a Bible, hey, take another one. You can't get enough of uh, God's Word. And then we will be looking at John chapter 17, as I read earlier, and... Um, you know, it's, uh, as pastor, I hear a lot of needs from people. Both you here at this church also needs from outside this church. And we come in through these doors every Sunday morning, and we have what I call felt needs. I mean, needs in our life that we feel. We feel them physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Some of those needs can be in our family, as in... You know, if your spouse comes through the door and says, okay, you know, I, I'm tired of playing the charade, I'm ready to quit. And if your, your marriage is struggling, that is, a, uh, that is a felt need. Another one, if you're struggling with a child, a teenager, that's a felt need you've got in your family. If you're not married yet and you're praying, God, send me that perfect guy or that perfect gal. I mean, these are, these are felt needs from the family. They're felt needs in work. 
Like, maybe you have a job that you don't like very much and you're struggling with it. Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe you hadn't had a job for a while. That's going to be a felt need. Maybe it's your health. Maybe the doctor has said, yes, it's cancer. Yes, it's terminal. Maybe he hasn't said that, but you're struggling with your health, be it cancer, be it a heart condition, be it the physical body. That's it. We feel that need. There's spiritual felt needs too. Some people walk in here and they may say, man, I really don't know what to believe. I mean, you can preach that, you can sing it, we can live it, but man, I, I'm just not there. These are needs that we feel. There are people, not just in church, that feel these needs. And what do we do? Well, the world, here's what the world does. The world, and a lot of us are in the world, the world seeks out good times. Man, let's party. Let's get it on. Now, you, you don't have to party and get, like, you know, trash drunk. I mean, let's, let's go and party and, and celebrate, okay? Good times. Good advice. It's what I call the gospel of Oprah and Dr. Phil. And that's nothing personal against them, but the good advice. Here's some good tidbits for how to work your life, marriage, work, family, all of that. Good advice good times, and good feelings. We want to go and seek out something that makes us feel good. That movie makes me feel good. That concert makes me feel good. That person makes me feel good. Even that church experience makes me feel good. What I'm trying to say is the things that we need in our life, we seek good advice. We seek good times. We seek good feelings. And if we seek that, we're still going to have those needs. If you are not of the world, you can seek Jesus. And Jesus will heal, and Jesus will restore, and Jesus will comfort. And hopefully we will know that those things that we seek to address felt needs are not going to be as good as Jesus. Jesus Christ. When we're talking about prayer, and this will be the last sermon about prayer, because next week we're getting to Palm Sunday. We can't talk, we can't preach about prayer without talking about Jesus. As in, prayer should be about Jesus, and I know that Jesus is about prayer. He is our, our Savior and Lord, so to confess Him as Savior and Lord, we, we pray to Him. He is our teacher. I mean, He taught us how to pray. He said, I'm going to teach you how to pray, and here's the Lord's Prayer. And he is also our model of how to pray. Scripture says it over and over again. Jesus retreated to pray by himself, to pray alone. But in, in this chapter, John 17, this is the greatest, I believe, model of Jesus praying and how he does pray. And it serves as a model for us. So again, in your Bible, John 17, and this is at the Lord's Supper. So he's saying this prayer right before he's going to be betrayed, right before he's going to be beaten, right before he's going to be spit upon, right before he's going to be crucified. This is, this is how he's calling out to the Lord. And it is a wonderful model for us about how Jesus prays, what he prays for, how we should pray. I want to start again, verse 1. Just this verse, it says, Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Father, Father. 
He calls God Father. I love this because so often, you know, we cry out, hey, God, and we don't say Father, or we don't look at Him as Daddy. Jesus here is crying out, Father. Actually, He cried out over and over again in His life and in His ministry to God as Father. You know, the only time He didn't address God as Father? When He was on the cross, when He was not being treated as a son. But the God that He knows and the God that we should know is Father. And I say that because there are probably some of you, many people, who have issue with that because they got some father issues of their own in this world and this life, or some daddy issues. And to think of God as father, to think of him as daddy, to think of him as this loving father, sometimes people just can't get past that barrier. And I preach to you, I urge you, you look to God as your heavenly father who loves us who is full of grace, whose arms are outstretched and is there for you. I hope when you pray, or as you begin to pray, or as you begin to grow your prayer life, you look at God as Father. Then Jesus says, the hour has come. The bell is tolling. It is time. What is it time for? It is time for Christ to suffer. It is ultimately time for Christ to Die. I want to highlight just those couple words because a lot of us can buy into the myth, and it's a myth, that knowing Christ, being a Christian, that leads to a great life, and like you look good, and you feel good, and you know, you got the white picket fence, and maybe you're rich, maybe you're famous, and it's a myth. Because whether you are rich or famous or not, still your spouse can walk through the door and say, it's over, I quit. Or your spouse can say, yeah, I'm having an affair. Or your son or daughter, as you've raised them in the church, can come in and say, you know, I really don't, don't get this Jesus deal. I'm, I'm gone. I, I'm not really figuring this. It's not jiving with me. Or the doctor can say, it is terminal. Here's the time you've got. And so... You know, we, we live in this world where we want to build this wonderful life, but we know that there's hurt and there's pain. And here is Jesus saying, I'm about to go through rigorous pain. The hour has come. We pray, dear Lord, dear God, dear Father, keep me from that hour. Jesus says, the hour's come. And then he says, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. The hour has come. Suffering is very present. And Jesus says, glorify me. Glorify your cross. May you be glorified. Could that be our prayer? All of us, we're either in suffering or we're waiting for suffering to come. Can we lift up prayers as Jesus did that in the hour of suffering, when that hour comes, may you be glorified, Father. May the cross of Christ be glorified. May Christ be glorified in my life in how I walk through suffering and pain and tragedy and very real life and real world events that hit all of us. May Christ be glorified. To his name all the glory. It's how Jesus prayed. It's how we should pray. Father, hour has come. May Christ be glorified. He goes on and he says, you have given 
authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given, he, Jesus, may give eternal life. How do we get eternal life? Jesus grants it. He says it right here. You have given me authority to give eternal life. Then he goes on. He says, this is eternal life. Verse 3, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I think this is a, a fascinating verse. I think this is a wonderful verse. You know why? Because Jesus doesn't say, this is eternal life. You get famous and you die and people write a lot of books about you and you live forever. He doesn't even say, this is eternal life. You die and you go to a place that is like heaven and there's streets of gold and glass seas and crystal and, and you know, it's, it's just great. He doesn't even name eternal life as a place. He names eternal life as a person. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, God, as Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is saying here, eternal life is a person. Eternal life is a relationship. Eternal life does not begin at our physical death. Eternal life begins when we know that person who is the only true God, Jesus Christ. Here's how I look at it. I was, I was thinking about this verse this week, and a lot of us have been on plane rides, and some of us have been on really long plane rides. I, uh, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to go on two very long plane rides last year on mission trips, one to Africa and one to India. Africa was 17 hours, India was 15 hours. And I don't know about y'all, but I've never had the experience, you know, you go on a plane ride, maybe it's like an hour to Atlanta or Dallas or something, or 15 hours, but I've never gotten off a plane and said, man, that seat was comfy. I need to get one of those for my house, you know. I mean, I, I've never had that, maybe y'all have, but um, with the leg room and everything, I've, I've never had that experience. And so to go on a, uh, a plane ride, you know, in, in coach, all that, uh, for 17 hours and 15 hours in those comfy seats uh, can be challenging. But now one of those plane rides to Africa uh, went with my, my wonderful wife, and we had a great time, 17 hours. I mean, she's like rolling her eyes, but we had a great time in that we had a lot of time to share, watch some movies, read, you know, eat. I mean, it was, it, was, it was a great time. I just loved being able to sit with her for that long. To India, 15 hours, I got to sit with Mark Heisel. And um, I love you, Heisel. Now, no, we're not that type of church, but I love you, brother. And, um, but, you know, we got to sit together and, you know, we, were, uh, we would sleep sometime and we would talk. Here's my point in all this. And I, I had a good, it was a good flight, Heisel. But my point is, you know, you can be in situations where you're like, man, this is, this is going to be painful, you know, this is going to be rough. And depending on who you're with, it can be a wonderful experience. Some of you all may have had this experience traveling where you were traveling and, you know, if you didn't have the right company, you can be in the most spectacular place and, um, you know, you just not enjoy it. Or you can be in, in a not-so-spectacular place and have wonderful company and, and just, you know, it's great. This is eternal life. Eternal life now, eternal life later. A relationship with Christ. And, and that's why 
I believe, and that's why Scripture is very clear, no matter where you are in life, no matter what felt need you have with that relationship, with the person of Jesus, it can be well. It can, it can be life. It can be eternal life. And that's what he's praying that we would know. He goes on, verse 5, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Wow. Wait, the glory I had with you, Jesus says, before the world was. C.S. Lewis said, man, Jesus was not a good teacher. He was not a good guy. He was not a good moral leader. He either was who he says he is or he was insane. Because a brother who's saying the glory that we had before the world was created, see the truth or, or he's a lunatic. There's no in between there. And Jesus is claiming, I, am, I was with you, Father, before you created the heavens and the earth and the universe. We were together and we were glorified. And now he's saying, at the moment of suffering and death, may you be glorified. Jesus is first praying for himself. And I want to give all of us the freedom, whatever you're going through in life, sometimes we feel like, man, I've got to pray for other folks. I've got to pray for a brother or sister or spouse or child. Pray for yourself. We all got some felt needs. Lift them up to God. Lift them up to him as Father. And say, Father, give me the strength that you would be glorified in this. Whether it's physical, whether it's the family, whether it's work. And let me glorify Christ in this. Pray for yourself to your heavenly Father. Jesus goes on from praying for himself to praying for his disciples. His disciples, those that he has trained and taught and led for the last three years, those 12. Skip down to verse 11. He says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, his disciples, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Jesus' prayer is that may these brothers be one. How can they be one? In the name of Jesus. How can we be one as his disciples? In the name of Jesus. Jesus prayer, man, keep them as one. He's like, man, th- he's like, things are about to hit the fan. They can be dispersed. They are going to be dispersed. They can be scattered. Father, keep them united in the name of Jesus. Christ. He goes on. He says, may they have our joy. Down to verse 13. He says, I come to you these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. His joy made full. He goes on. He says, I've given them your word. The world has hated them. Wait a second. Joy and the world is hating them. That's, that doesn't make sense to me. You're hated and despised by the world, yet you have joy of Christ. You're persecuted by the world, yet you have joy. How, how does that happen? I pray for, for us that in suffering, in persecution, if we are hated, and people are hated because of the name of Christ, and it's not just in foreign countries where like, you know, you get killed for worshiping. And people are hated here in this country for proclaiming the name of Christ. Jesus said, may they have my joy. How do you get that? How does that happen? I believe you have to know 
You have to know Jesus. You have to know that, hey, we are in the world, but we are not of it. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. How, how does that happen? How, how can that happen? I mean, we're living in this world. How can we not be of this world, but yet we're very much in the world, in this world here and now? How, how can we live like that? Well, this is Jesus' prayer. As he goes, he says, I've given them your word, verse 14, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. The literal Greek translation of this, as Jesus is, is praying it, of the world, he literally means set apart. That's the Greek translation, that they would be set apart and that they would know that they are set apart. And if you know God as a heavenly father who sent Jesus and you know him, then you can know that you are set apart. We're coming up on Easter. A lot of y'all are preparing this great Easter dinner. And some of you, I know like my mom and my grandma were like this. I mean, they got the fine china and it's set apart and it's set away only for these special occasions. They'll pull it out fine china or fine silver for those Easter brunches, Easter lunch. And I would love you, us, if you know Christ, to see yourself as being set apart. You are fine china. You are fine silver to your heavenly Father. He has set you apart for something very, very special. A work. I mean, this time and this place and this country and this town and this life that all of us are living, it is not coincidental. God has sent us here and you got a special purpose. He has set you apart. And when we know that, I mean, like when we really know that, man, it's, it's like, okay, yeah, this, this world is going on and I, I am passing through it, but I, I got a moment, I got a time, I got, I got a place and I can make an impact for Christ. You're set apart. Jesus then goes on how we can, we can live set apart, how we can live in the world and not of it. He says, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves may be sanctified in truth. How do you also have joy? How do you be in the world and not of it? How do you be set apart? We're sanctified and we're sent. Sanctified. What that means is really you grow in holiness. You grow in discipleship. You grow as a disciple of Christ. Peter did this. In a moment, Peter's going to be rejecting Jesus. And then he grows as a leader of the church all the way to saying, Hey, I don't want to be crucified like my Lord. Just turn it upside down. He was sanctified. We, we grow in Holiness. How do we do that? Jesus says, your word, your word is true. Actually, the Greek in this is, it doesn't mean your word is true. as like an adjective. Your word, God's word, is truth. God's word, the Bible, the Bible is truth. We're sanctified, we're made holy growing in God's word. Now that's a very Sunday school type answer or response. You may have heard this, but, but let me break it down for you. We are a Bible-believing, uh, Bible-loving, hopefully Bible-learning church. 
I mean, I believe God's word is true. I believe it is inerrant, that there are no errors there. I believe it is truth and that we can grow in holiness. We can grow in knowing Christ and grow in discipleship by his word, by the Bible. And there's some of you who are saying, man, I just can't get into that. I, um, you know, I can't understand all of it. I don't even believe some of the crazy stuff. It says some crazy stuff, okay? You're not alone. Billy Graham, I love quoting Billy Graham. He's a hero. Billy Graham, very early in his ministry, okay, not before he was a Christian, in his ministry, he was about to give it up. He wasn't seeing much fruit. This was about 1949. He said, God, I mean, I, I can't, he said, I can't understand your word. Can't understand all of it. He went up to the California mountains by himself. He was debating whether to throw in the towel and, I don't know, be, you know, a salesman or something like that. But he was, about, he was giving up, de- debating giving up the ministry. And he said this simple prayer. He said, God, if you would just give me the faith, even what I don't believe, even what I, I can't believe, to believe it and then to learn it and to grow in it, I'll keep doing this. And God did in that prayer. And you know the fruit of his life and ministry. So what I'd say to you is before you say, man, I, I can't get God's word, Pray that God will give you the faith to know that God's word is truth and begin that process. I always say, if you want to begin in the Bible, just begin reading the book of John. The book of John, the gospel of John. Know his word is truth and he will sanctify you through it. So you're sanctified, but then also you're sent. So we don't just like stay up in our our small group or stay up in our, our room or our closet praying and like studying God's word. We do that, but then we are sent. I would even say it like this. We think of missionaries going around the world. We're all missionaries. We are all missionaries. Locally, here, where God has placed us in this time, in this city. We're missionaries. And as being set apart, we don't just grow in holiness. We grow in being sent. How do you be in this world and not of it? We have the joy of knowing we can be sanctified in the truth and that we are sent, and we're sent for a purpose. Missionaries here, missionaries in this church, missionaries in this town, missionaries to go forth. And and I love that Jesus says, hey, sanctified and sent, because what the church and what a lot of Christians can get caught up with a lot of times is either being one or the other, honestly, being one or the other. And... For me, at least, I want to work on being both, and I want this church to work on being both. Let me give you an example about it. If you lean towards sanctification, if you lean, hey, let's be sanctified, the church is like a bomb shelter. And like the world is going to hell, and their bomb's going off, so let's shelter down, and let's huddle up, and let's get in here, and let's get sanctified, and be holy, and let's don't go out there, because bombs are going off, and, and we'll just, you know, we'll cuddle up here, and be good, and we're growing holier and holier. It's like a shelter. And we need to get sanctified, but if we lean too far and just stay there, we're missing out on, really, the gospel. And the other Christians, I would say, can get caught up in the sin and say, hey, we're just sent. And the church can be like a mirror, a mirror, okay? And what I mean by that is, like, people who are not in the church, we can just say, man, it's okay, whatever you do, because we're doing the same things in here. You got an improper relationship sexually, whether you're shacking up with someone or a homosexual relationship, hey, it's okay. Hey, you're 
doing drugs, it's okay, it's cool, there's grace in everything. And we lean too far on this, and it's like a mirror. And you got to have both. We are sanctified and we're also sent. We're in the world, not of it. And we can't lean too far on either way. We've got to have both. Because both is the gospel, that we're made holy in his word with a church family, and then we go out. And we also say, we love you. We want to live God's grace. But there are things that you can be doing that are destructive to your life and that are not in God's word. But we'll share that in holiness. We share that in grace. We're sanctified and we're sent. Both. Jesus prays for his disciples. I would ask you as pastor, as he's praying for his leaders, pray for the leaders of this church. Man, pray, pray for me. I, I mean, I'll take all the prayers I can get. I need all the prayers that you got. Pray for other leaders of this church. Chris, our worship team, Jill, our family ministry, Jeff, other lay leaders here. Pray for leaders of this church. Please, I would ask you, pray for us as we're growing this church, as we're leading this church. Jesus is praying for his leaders. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then last, he prays for his global church. Verse 20, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He said, I don't just, I'm not just praying for these, these leaders, these disciples. I'm praying for all those who would follow me throughout history. Jesus praying for his church all around the world. Jesus praying for his global church. Jesus praying for his future church. Jesus is praying for you, I believe, right then. Jesus praying for this church right then. Jesus praying for all churches, for his church, his future body. And I hope you know that. I hope we know that. This time of his prayer, I mean, it's like, I, I believe he was seeing the future. I mean, he's God after all. And he was seeing how his church was growing. He's like, God, these churches are going to have trials. These churches are going to have challenges. Whether they're an established church, whether churches start, whatever season they're in. And he's like, God, I pray for them that they may be one. One. First, he stresses it to his leaders and disciples. Then, his entire church, globally. Future churches. He's praying for us that we would be one. How are we one? In his name. The name of Jesus. You know, that really hadn't happened throughout history. I mean, there's been division after division. We don't have to talk about individual churches, denominations. And, you know, I look at it like this. And I'd say, big, big picture here. How can the church, how can Christians be one? Baptists, Methodists, whether you're Methodist, Presbyterian. You know, a lot of us right now, I mean, we're just like, we got like denominational spots all over us. So we worship here for a while, worship there. I mean, that's, that's how my life has been. How can we be one? I look at it like this. The church is like, you know, our country, United States, we got different states and their state boundaries. But even though we get brothers and sisters from the South and our brothers and sisters in like New England are really different from us, God love them and everything, but we're still the same country, you know what I mean? And we're not going to say, oh, we got problems with Massachusetts, even though some of you may have problems with Massachusetts. We got problems, let's go nuke them and start a war. We don't do that, you know? We're still the same country. And 
I look at, you know, whether denominations, whether, you know, different types of churches. We're one church. We may be different states, and there's some state borders. We can cross over there and worship together. Still one. One family. Jesus' family. Now, there are also national borders. Like, they're different. You go up to Canada, it's different. You go to Europe, you go to South America, that's different. And so there are different nations, too. For example, Mormon, that's a different nation, okay? That's not a state, okay? It's a different nation. Jehovah's Witness, different nation there, okay? We can pray for them, but I would not, as pastor, don't go there. <laughs> don't be well-traveled in that degree. Stay here and be one. One nation, one family in Jesus. He prays for us to be one. And I would ask for us as his church, as Bellwether, are we one? We're one in Christ, but I also want to be one in his purpose. And his purpose is a global purpose. His purpose is for churches to be united in Christ. We want to be united in Christ. And I would, I've always said this, and I'll partner, we will partner with any church that wants to raise his kingdom. Because if you do what's good for the kingdom, it's going to be good for your church. And if you're just doing what's good for your church, it's probably not going to be good for the kingdom. So like churches around Jackson, Mississippi, Metro Jackson, I say, man, if we're all in it for the kingdom, let's, let's partner. I talked to a, a pastor this week, and he was so discouraged about churches being so insular focused, so internally focused, so focused on, hey, let's just grow this and grow our budget and grow our members and all this. And there's like no willingness to partner, to come together as Jesus' church for this area. And I just have no interest in being like that. It's his church. It's his family. We're all one. I think Jesus, if we're here, Jesus wants us to be a church that reflects this area, the metro area. How that looks socioeconomically, how that looks racially, we need to reflect this community. We're one here locally, we need to be one globally. Do we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world? We had a prayer time before the service day. We prayed for a friend who's in Indonesia and who wants to worship, and if she goes and worships, she's at risk of getting killed. We pray for those brothers and sisters. I Skyped with the Rambos. This week, missionaries in Uganda, they're really praying about going into the Congo. The Congo, a very unreached area. It's going to not be very good for his family. And they're praying about it. Do we pray for them? Do we keep them in mind? We pray for India. For brothers and sisters in very unchurched areas. When we were in India. We were 60 miles away from where they kill Christians. That's very real. We pray for them. We pray for the Honduras trip. We've got nearly 60 people... From this church, getting ready to go to Honduras. We've got a meeting after, after church today. We pray, hey God, get that soil ready. Show us fruit. Exper- let us experience your spirit. This church needs to pray globally and locally. Because that's his church. And that's his family. We've got two weeks to Easter Sunday. Two weeks. I would challenge you. Challenge you. Two weeks. Pray for, model prayers on this prayer. Jesus prays for himself. Jesus prays for his disciples and leaders. Jesus prays for his church. In the next two weeks, could you pray? Hey, lift up yourself like, God, I I got some felt knees hitting right now. 
I need you. Man, lift it up to your Father who loves you. Pray for this church. Pray for leaders of this church. Pray that we would be united and one in Jesus. Pray for His global church. You spend the next two weeks just doing that. That's how I'm going to spend the next two weeks in my prayer life. Lifting up these needs to our Heavenly Father. Praying for this church. Praying for His global church. We've spent the last couple weeks, we've talked about emptying ourselves in prayer. And we've had these uh, empty jars, empty vessels, we would say. And we preach and we speak and we worship and we say it over and over again. Man, empty yourself. Empty yourself in prayer to God, to your Heavenly Father. We've been saying that over and over again. And some Sundays we've been like, when you empty yourself, you can be filled by the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday I talked about if the Holy Spirit fills you, the Holy Spirit can overflow like water and just overflow your life and your vessel. But today, in closing, I would say this. Because I know people that pray and are praying and are praying and are praying. And they're saying, man, I'm emptying myself and I keep coming up dry. I keep coming up empty. I ain't being filled. You got a word for me? Yeah, I got a word for you. You can pray. We can pray all we want. We can empty ourselves all we want. We can pour ourselves out. If we don't know and believe that first Jesus Christ, our Savior, emptied himself for us in prayer, physically in his blood, we're going to keep being empty. It starts knowing that we have a Savior who has emptied himself for you, for you, for you, for me, for us, he emptied himself. Emptied himself in prayer, emptied himself in his very life so that we could live. Often we confuse ourselves in Christianity about what we got to do. It is not what we do, it's not what you do, it is what has been done by Jesus Christ on the cross. It is not what we do. It is what he has done. I'm going to close with this word. I always give an invitation. Let me invite you to this. I don't invite, and I would never invite you to get saved. You may have never heard that in a church. I can go get a new car. I can go get a haircut if I need one. I can go get anything if I'm able to purchase it. But I have to purchase it. We can't get saved. What we can do is put our belief and our trust and our heart in the one Christ who has already saved us. Because, see, we can't, we can't purchase ourselves. We can't buy that. The good news is Jesus already has. That's why we celebrate these next two weeks. That's what it's about. His work on the cross, what he has done, he's paid the price for you to have salvation. Put your faith, put your belief, put your trust in the Savior who has saved you on the cross. He did it for you. His arms were outstretched. They were saying, come to me and he'll embrace you. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, I pray first that we would know you as Father. We may have hang-ups with family. We may have hang-ups in life. We may think of you as this almighty God. I pray that we would know you as Father who loves us, who sent his Son to die for us. And he did. He did. He died for us. He died for these, your people that are sitting here, whom all of us have our felt needs. And nothing on this earth is really going to cure them. But you have. I pray we know that, but not simply with our minds, that we would, we would put our trust and put our faith in that fact on what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And in doing so, we would begin to grow in being sanctified by your word, by your people, by your churches, by your family. Pray we'd grow in being sent, that we would see ourselves as set apart as missionaries for a great work and a great purpose. And even if we're hated or persecuted or even if life doesn't look better, we know we're set apart, that to you we are fine china and fine silver. Pray these your people would know that and they would live as sanctified and sent people. And above all, they would know that they are saved, 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 saved by Jesus and what he's done for us. In his name, amen.